Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. Today, I just God gave me a, a word for you guys. And I just want you to know, the way I study the Bible for Sundays and, and, and uh, the way I get ready for Sundays is uh, I, I bring, I try to take a topic that God's speaking to me. And then I try to take the, the way that our society sees that topic and the burdens of our, our city with that particular area. And I bring the burdens of, of the people that are in South Orange County to God about that area. And what I've learned is if you bring problems into prayer, you'll bring solutions out of it. And so uh, I, I want to share with you today a thought that God gave me on this builder series. And I want to talk to you today about building fires. Is that all right? Kind of an old school, Old Testament. It sounds kind of scary. Someone say building fires. Where's my pyromaniacs in the room? Come on, there's a few of you in here. Fourth of July, you all come out. We're going to um, open up our Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 28. I'm going to read uh, 10 verses today. And uh, we're just going to read the chapter 28, fellas, in the back. And after I read that, if you're new to our church, I'm going to pray real fast. The great theologian MC Hammer said we have to pray just to make it today. And so we're going to pray real fast, and then I'm going to tell a couple stories. If you laugh, we call them jokes. But if there's no laughter, just stories. And then after we do that, I want to be honest with you. I'm a, I'm a pastor. I want to be honest that my intention is, is not just to share the scriptures, but to also invite the Holy Spirit in the room. And some of you, you're at the end of the service, it just happens every week. Uh, people get emotional. They're crying outside in the lobby, and they're like, man, this, I've never been in a church like this. Um, and it's like, I got so emotional and it's funny, you know, people that don't know the presence of God, they're like, I don't know why I'm like kind of shaking and felt like this is wild, like kind of crazy. And you always see it like on singing shows when they sing like a church song and all the judges start crying. They're like, I don't know. It's just so so special. It's like, no, you were singing lyrics that touch the heart of God. And when the presence shows up, people start feeling his presence. And so you're going to feel his presence. And I believe that some of you are actually going to get healed in the service. Is it okay to be honest in church? I would be lying if I, if I told you that you weren't. Because I do believe some of you are going to get healed today. And uh, I believe that dramatic life changes happen in the presence of God. And I would go even a step further to say that one authentic moment with God, with Jesus, can actually affect the whole rest of your life. I'm a byproduct of a one moment with God. And so today, if you've got your Bible, you're ready to have a good time. Say, I'm ready. Acts 28, we'll throw it up on the screen behind me, but if you don't have your Bibles, but read along with me if you want, kind of follow along. It says, uh, I got to give context, I forgot, is there's a large storm, Acts 27. Paul gets in the fourth shipwreck scenario of his life, uh, which actually he had another one coming. He uh, sailed probably about 3,500 miles, scholars say, in his ministry. So he knew turbulent oceans. He gets caught in a Euroclidon, which is basically like a hurricane-level wind on the ocean. They're in a ship. There's 276 people on the ship, most of which are not believers. And basically, all hope was lost. The Bible says that all hope was lost. It actually says that because they couldn't even see the sky for many days. And back in those days, they relied on the stars to be able to dictate where they were going. So when you lose sight of direction in your life, without vision, people... So they lost their vision, and then there was no more hope. And there was not only no hope, but they're in a really turbulent ocean. The the waves are beating against the ship. And it it says that they actually, Paul says, God told us we're going to make it. Uh, The ship's not going to make it, but we're going to make it. So they they jump overboard. The people that could swim jumped overboard. The people that couldn't swim, 
grab holds of parts of the ship. And I want you to know when you're going through a storm, the two things that they did in the story, which chapter 27, if I was preaching that chapter, is I would say when you're going through a storm, lighten the ship. It's always smart to do. <laughs> try to get out of debt, try to do things that are smart, get, lighten the ship. And the second thing they did is they grabbed holds of parts of the ship to get to land. I believe what gets us through storms is getting hold of the right ships. Things like worships, like, like getting hold of fellowship, <laughs> getting a revelation of God's lordship. You got to get a hold of the ship when you're coming out of a storm. And so they make it to the land, and this is where we're going to pick up reading, and it says this. Now, when they had escaped the storm, they found out that the island was called Malta. The natives, say it with me, the natives. The natives showed us unusual, I love this, kindness. They showed us unusual kindness by kindling a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because it was cold outside. It was raining and it was cold. But when Paul had gathered, Paul gathered a bundle of sticks, he laid them on the fire. He laid them on the fire. And when he laid the sticks on the fire, the viper came out of the sticks because of the heat and bit fastened onto his hand. When the natives saw that the creature was hanging, dangling, kind of a funny picture here, but scary, from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer, whom, though he escaped the sea in the shipwreck, yet justice, someone called it karma, does not allow him to live. But he shook the creature off into the fire, and he suffered no harm. However, they were expecting him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after a while, they kept on looking at him and saw that no harm came to him. And they changed their minds. And they said, he's not a murderer. He's a god. Aren't people funny? Moral of the story, don't listen to the opinion of men. In that region, there was an estate leading, uh, of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Poplius. And Poplius, who received us entered, uh, and entertained us uh, courteously for three days and it happened that his father the father of him lay sick with a fever and uh, with uh, dysentery and uh, it's a bowel condition in your body really serious and Paul went in prayed for him and laid his what laid his hands on him and he healed him so when this was done that the rest of the island everyone on the island of Malta who had any diseases came to Paul and they were also healed they honored us as we left many ways. We departed providing such things as were necessary. I want to talk to you guys today about building fires. I was going to call it playing with fire, but that was my youth pastor days. You guys ready? Let's pray. God, I just thank you for the opportunity to be at my favorite church in the whole world. I thank you for all these amazing people that make this awesome community called Oceans Church. We're grateful for what you've done in the last 52, 53, 54 weeks. And I ask you that even today, you would meet us in a significant way. I pray whether it's our first time or we come every week, that you meet us where we are and lead us into where you want us to be. Enlarge our faith, help us to have a good time, and we just pray you bless the Rams, the Chargers, and the Los Angeles Lakers. In Jesus' name, if you believe it, go ahead and say amen. And Jordan told me I had to start praying for the Ducks. And I'm like, man, I've never been a huge hockey fan, but I'm like, hey, i got to start praying for the Ducks. But hey, you guys doing good? I, uh, I grew up... Uh, with different friends. I had friends for different interests. Do anybody have interest-based friendships? Like you had your snowboarding friends when you wanted to go snowboard. Maybe you wouldn't hang out with those guys. Maybe you wouldn't go shopping, get advice in the mall from those guys. But if you're going to go snowboarding, you liked hanging out with that crew. 
I had friends for different reasons. I had, uh, I had gaming friends. One of my friends, true story, in uh, junior high and high school, he had a big screen TV in his closet. He removed the closet sliding doors, and he hooked up his computer with about 60 other computers in his house to big screen televisions, and we play games all night. I'm not a gamer. I'm not tech savvy, but when I wanted to, I would hang out with Steve. And I had gaming friends. I had shopping friends, and I'm like, man, I don't know what to buy, what to wear. They do. Come shopping with me. We live in a different era today that we have, like, photography friends. You have that person you call up when you want someone to take a picture of you that makes you look skinny. <laughs> Calling her up. She can whiten my teeth. He's, he's so good with Photoshop. And uh, it's funny. You have different friends for different reasons. I remember I had a, we, had a, we had a buddy. We called him our rich friend. And he had, like, everything you can think of at his house. We didn't have a lot of money. We were poor growing up. Like, when I was, like, first, pretty much first, probably seven to 18. We didn't have a lot. Like, our welcome mat, we were so poor, just said, well, we couldn't afford the rest. Um, like, you ring the doorbell at my house, the toilet would flush. You know what I'm saying? Like, just it was a different, it was a different place. But we, uh, this guy was, I, I don't think he was rich, but I think just relatively speaking, he was doing pretty well because he was the first friend I ever had that had cereal that came in boxes. We're in Orange County, so I'll explain. Um, I had like, like garbage bags of Crunchy Crisp. Who remembers Crunchy Crisp? Of like uh, Cocoa Nuggets. You don't know Cocoa Nuggets. You guys know Cookie Crisp. He had name brand. I never heard of Pepsi or Coke. I knew, uh, I knew, uh, I was familiar with, what was it? It was a Big Fizz Cola. I didn't, I never heard of Dr. Pepper, but I knew Dr. Thunder. <laughs> this guy had name brand soda and cereal. I'm like, this guy is rich. And uh, I had friends that were just, again, different friends for different occasions. But I remember there was always those guys at school, even junior high school, that like, I, I called them lighter boys. Because at school, they always brought lighters. My mom told me never to hang out with lighter boy. <laughs> lighter boy was at school always trying to set everything on fire. And I was just thinking about Lighter Boy, and, you know, he's, he's a bad influence on me growing up. And, uh, but we go camping, and Lighter Boy was the best guy to bring on camping trips. Because unless you had a Boy Scout friend, the only person that could get the fire started on a camping trip was Lighter Boy. And uh, I don't know if you had a pyro friend like that. But I was just thinking about, you know, fire and friendships. And I really just want to tell you that story. That's why I used all that. Um, I love this story because it talks about a guy that built a fire. And Paul, uh, Paul shows up, and, and I started, I mean, I, I've read Acts 28, one of my favorite passages in the book of Acts, I love it, I, I think it's such a cool concept, but I got such great fresh thoughts this week on this passage that I've never had before, and I want to talk to you about really five criteria that I see in Acts 28 that really constitute fire building, fire building, and I want to talk to you a little bit up today about building fires, we're going to be like lighter boy, we're going to build some fires, Acts 28 says they get to the sea, and it says that the first thing that happens when they encounter fire builders is they meet a native people. And I, I got this cool revelation, almost like an analogy, that living uh, kind of before my life started with Jesus, it was almost like being in a uh, kind of a crazy ocean with waves and winds. And I kind of came into the church, if I'm being honest, I was the guy that came into the church the first time sobbing wet and cold. Sobbing wet and cold. 
And I believe that, number one, if you're taking notes, I believe that fire builders uh, show unusual kindness. I believe what makes a community that's full of grace and love and the power of God is when we make a conscious, intentional decision that we're going to be a people that shows unusual kindness to everybody. I love this idea, unusual kindness. How do they show, and here's the kind of the, the thesis of this talk, they showed, and I believe that this is kind of a thought, that these nativers, uh, native people, they represented Christianity. That they had people that were shipwrecked coming into the church, coming into the community of faith. And they were cold, wet, and almost died, and they were just hopeless days ago. And they came into this environment of, it literally, Malta means honey. That's what it means. It means sweet place. It's like God promises a promised land full of milk and honey. It's a, it's a promised land destination. And these guys were hopeless in the sea, 276 of them. They almost died. They say that if they would have missed this bay, which was like the most ideal bay you could, you could run into in a storm. They actually named it after Paul today. It's in Malta. But if they would have missed that bay, it would have been 200 miles until the next body of land. It was a miracle that they hit that bay when they did. But it says that when they hit this, this bay, they, they get out, they're sobbing wet, they're freezing cold, which I don't know if there's a worse combination. Getting out wet and being freezing cold. But it says that the native people, the, the people there in the church, they, they kindled, they showed unusual kindness by what? Kindling a fire. I believe the greatest thing that believers can do is build fires for people that aren't just themselves. You know what they did is they actually, as a church, I think the greatest thing that churches can do, what we're going to do at Ocean's Church, is we're going to start a fire, a passion, an environment where the presence of God is. That people that come in hopeless, destitute, out of darkness, that haven't seen stars or light for days. People that are sobbing, soaking wet, and spiritually dead cold. They can come in and go, man, I don't know why. But that wasn't just good music. That wasn't just a phenomenal message. Come on, I'm preaching. Thought I'd interject that little thought. There was more, on a serious note, than a message and music. There was some sort of heat that I could feel the cold parts of my spirit warming up, thawing out. You see, I believe the greatest way that Christians show kindness is by developing personal fires. I believe it is the fire of God's presence. It is the presence of God in our lives that people sense the, they sense the, te they sense the temperature warmth. I believe that there's a lot of people, because the story reads that the church in this story went from unusually kind far fire starters, but I think if we're not careful, what will happen is we'll slip into the other two categories, that they went from being unusually kind to becoming very judgmental. Because what happens, they were nice, kind people that started a fire, but when the snake bit Paul's hand, they go, he must be a murderer. Isn't it crazy? They went from so kind to they had some sort of tragedy or something happened in their family or their life. You ever met a Christian like this? Oh, they must, they must have had sin in their life. That's why they got that disease. That's why their life fell apart. They were just, there was something wrong with them. The Bible I read says it rains on the just and on the unjust. Bad circumstances are not a result of God not loving you in a good way. And so he gets bit in the hand. And again, Christianity, if we're not intentional, we'll go from unusually kind fire builders to actually casting judgment saying, well, 
you got bit by that situation because there was sin in your life. I believe it's the Holy Spirit's job to reveal sin to us. Isn't it interesting that even God waits until we die to judge us? And he knows everything. So why are we trying to judge people with finite knowledge? Another message. So he, uh, he looks and he goes, he, he says the, the unusual kindness. And, they, and then the third thing that they do is they go, he didn't die. There was a miracle. He's alive. He must not be a sinner. He must be a God. And again, I think if we're not intentional fire starters that are kind, we can get into two things, judgment, or we can get into this thing I call changing your mind every 20 minutes. You met these people on Facebook or Instagram? One day they're ranting about this thing. The next day they're ranting about this thing. They're changing their mind every day. It almost depends which documentary they watch that day. Hello, church. I'm a vegan. No, I'm paleo. I'm, I'm, I'm keto. It's like whatever's going on in society, they're always changing everything all the time. And I'm not talking about uh, health trends. I'm talking about spiritual theology. That I'm not going to change every single day. I'm going to be make up my mind to be a fire starter that says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to show unusual kindness by letting God build a fire in me. Second thing that he says it, it, that I believe fire builders do is they, uh, they number two is they gather sticks. They gather sticks. I think, I think uh, most people mistake these, and God gave me this thought here, uh, but they gather sticks. Sticks are, uh, it's interesting that the church was responsible for starting the fire. But the natives started the fire, but Paul was the one that was actually gathering sticks after it was going. I believe that if all we have is the fire on Sundays and live in the smoke the rest of the week, that we'll actually be victims of whatever feeling passes through our head or our heart. I think that one of the greatest things we can do is not just be a Christian going to heaven, but be a disciple that brings heaven to earth. There is a difference. I think that the church in America today is good at producing Christians that are going to heaven, but we're a little bit light on producing disciples that change earth. It's going to be a little quiet in here. What do you mean? Like, we ask questions like, well, how much do you have to read or how many good works do you have to do to go to heaven? And we're asking things like bare minimum, like what's the requirement? Like what's the baseline prerequisite to like kind of like have a relationship with God? And it's like, I mean, I always say this, but if I married, if you married your wife and you said, hey, how much, like, do you require for me to, like, stay married to you? What's well, a minimum? It's not an exciting marriage, right? It's like, I just want to know the baseline. Like, what's going to keep the car running? And I want you to know, I think that Christianity is not about just surviving on fumes. I think that God actually encounters you. And you might make a decision in church. You might pray a prayer, invite God into your life. But once you experience a fire in this environment, what I want to teach you and what we're going to do in this community is we're going to teach you how to go home and gather sticks. We're going to teach you how to go throughout the week and go, man, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to get some sticks over here, some scriptures over here. I think sticks are kind of like scriptures. You ever been at a campsite and you forgot to buy firewood? Come on, just me. You're doing that like walk of shame around the campground? Like, come on, there's got to be wood around here somewhere. No, there's got to be wood around here. Like that branch isn't that, it's not that alive. Let's just cut it off. A smoky fire, cut down green trees. I've been there before. You got to gather sticks. I believe that sticks are kind of like scriptures. It's like reading your Bible. But I want you to know that reading your Bible will make you an educated Christian, but not a mature Christian. Maturity is not just what you learn intellectually. 
If intellectual knowledge of, Bible, of the Bible and the scriptures gave you a deep relationship with God, the Pharisees would have been the closest people on the earth. You can write this in your notes if you want. Maturity is not gauged by how much you know. It's how much of what you know you live out. It's true. You can know everything in the Bible, but it's, the, it's what you live out that Jesus said. It's following him. I believe in reading my Bible. I think reading your Bible is the greatest way to get sticks to put on your fire. But I want you to know there's a lot of Christians that know the scriptures but don't know the spirit. And I'll tell you this, that you can actually read the scriptures but not know the spirit that actually inspired the scriptures. You ever met someone like this? They went to Christian school, Christian cemetery, seminary. They, uh, they know the Bible backwards, forwards. They can rattle off stick stats all day long. 66 books, 4,200 or 42 authors, 1,600 years, no contradictions, three languages. Started being written in Patmos or, uh, or ended in Patmos and Revelations by John. Started in Lonely Arabia. Come on. They can quote biblical statistics. And they, they're some of the meanest people on the planet. Well, God says not to do this. The Lord says you're going to hell. And you know, you're, look, theologically you're straight as a gun barrel, but you're just as empty. Because knowing, knowing the Bible, that's why Jesus said, follow me. John would go on to write that those that are full of the Spirit of God are led by the Spirit of God. So you can know what he said, but you got to actually follow out the way in which he said it. So he says that the, you know, they're gathering sticks. And this is a crazy thought. I never had it before. But notice that the snake was in the sticks. The snake was in the sticks. And the snake didn't show himself until the sticks met the fire. I believe there's a lot of well-educated Christians that know the scriptures. I'm not getting, I think we should read our Bibles. Everyone said a good amen. Not, don't mistwist this up. We read the Bible, but I believe there's something about saying, God, not only am I reading this, I'm not checking a box. I read, I did my religious duty today. I'm saying that we read this thing to have a relationship with the God that wrote it. So it's not just the, it's not just the sticks. It's, it's taking the sticks, the scriptures. It's the, it's the moments with God, these ideas that God gives you, and bring the sticks and bring them to the fire. And when I bring the sticks to the fire, all of a sudden the snakes that are in the sticks surface. So I'm telling you right now, it's like everyone's fine with you. Like, all right, you, like you believe in heaven? Yeah, you believe in like... You believe the forgiveness of, of sins? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine with that theology. But the moment you stand up and say something like, God can still do the impossible today. God is still a miracle-working God. He can still do anything. He still speaks today. No, he doesn't. John said, my, my sheep know my voice. And I want you to God doesn't have, God's the only one on the earth that doesn't have grandkids. God does not want grandkids. He wants sons and daughters. He doesn't want a relationship with you through some other, some other entity. I could preach this morning if I had a little bit of help in the room. Telling you that he wants to have an intimate, personal knowledge with you. And I'm not going to just gather sticks. I want to actually bring what I'm learning theologically into my prayer times and put them on the fire. And I'm telling you, when you do them, man, everything starts flaring up. If you start believing that God can still do great things, I've had, you'd be shocked. And it's crazy. The bigger this church will get, the more opinions that will begin to rise up. And no one cares about what you're doing until you start doing something. 
And if you want to make everybody happy, just don't do anything. That's the best way to make everyone happy. Okay? Just stop doing stuff. But we're going to do something great in Orange County. And we need a reputation. That's the church you go to. If you need healing, go to that church. You need your life to change, go to that church. You want to get set free from that addiction? I know a church. Great churches are places that we bring our sins to to die. And I'm telling you that this is going to be one of those type of churches. But when you do say stuff like that, all the snakes. Every, every dry church. This church is drier than a year, year old bird nest. They all start having opinions and going, man, you can't believe that. You can't believe that God still speaks. I love pastors, these guys in denominations that go, God doesn't speak anymore. But they, they swear that God called them into the ministry. <laughs> Explain that trash to me. Who called you to the ministry? Why you pastor? The Lord called me. He doesn't speak. Tell you, God is still alive. He does still love us. He does still speak to us. He still does miracles in our life. He does. Period. But when you start believing stuff like this, every religious snake will start creeping out of every bundle of sticks. You have family members that are well-meaning well like, wait, wait, you said that so-and-so got healed? God doesn't heal anymore. They talk like that too. I was talking to a girl for a service. She came to a camp. I think I told you about that camp. Uh, I, the camp that the, remember the, the camp that I called out. There was a girl that got healed of, of suicidal stuff, and God wasn't going to just heal her of that suicidal like mindset, but He's going to heal the memory of it. That's all I said. I was on a platform. There's like four thousand kids in the room, and literally, I found out the next day there was a girl that shared her story that she tried taking her life. She had she was a cutter. She had scars from her shoulder to her wrist. She said that when I called that out, she knew it was her. She started crying. But she looked down, and all of her scars were gone. All of them. God didn't just heal her mind. He actually removed the memory. That's impossible. Let me tell you some more impossible things. Is that all right? She told me this morning, so I forgot about this one. I said there was someone in the room that has scoliosis. I said it in that, in that meeting. She remember you said that? I said, I, honestly, I didn't remember that. She said, you called out scoliosis. She said, I had seven girls in my room. She said two things. All seven of them got filled with the Holy Spirit, by the way. She said, but, the, but one of the girls had scoliosis. She had it her whole life. She said, when you called that out, she said she fell over. I was in front of, I was behind her. She fell over in my arms. She was just here for service. She fell over in my arms. She said, God was touching her. She said, after the camp was over, she went and got x-rays. She's, she's it's gone. Fully, fully gone doesn't happen right here. why do you have so much fun having a christianity that requires no faith why do you enjoy that so much i like having a little bit of this fact that god has to do something i like sticks man but i like when the sticks meet the fire and when the fire starts lighting up man the sticks it's like the scripture is not just dead scripture it's alive the author says it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It cuts between soul and spirit and joint and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart and mind. It's alive. It's not dead. But some people go to dead churches, fall asleep the whole time, and they think that they're doing God a favor. Well, I'm just, I'm just being obedient to the Lord. Do you want kids that show up to your house every week and just fall asleep on your couch? How's your relationship with your kids? Oh, they come over every week. 
We don't talk, but they sleep on my couch. I kind of feed them, and they sleep. And they leave. I'm just talking, I'm talking the language of the people here. God wants to know you the way that you know your kids. So you know what fire builders do is they say, you know what we're going to do is we're going to show unusual kindness to, the, to our friends and our community by letting God build a personal fire in us. I'm going to do that by gathering sticks. I'm going to spend time. You better believe I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to listen to some good podcasts. I'm going to throw on some worship music. I'm going to grab a hold of the ship. Can I get an amen? And when I do that, what's going to happen next is God, I'm going to bring what I'm learning into the fire of God's presence. Things are going to start igniting, start lighting up. It's interesting that in Matthew 25, there's foolish virgins and wise virgins. And the only difference was not what they had, but, but it was the oil that they didn't have. I believe, and I'm going a little deeper in this, I wanted to go, but Moses' tabernacle, Solomon's tabernacle, and, uh, and uh, or David's tabernacle and Solomon's temple, they all had candlesticks in them, lampstands. We think of candlesticks as in like candles on a orna- ornament, you know, gold uh, candle holder, but it actually wasn't a candle that was burning. It was actually a lamp that had a wick, and it had a wick that burned, and there was oil underneath the flame. And you could say like this, that the flame was dependent on the oil. I could do a whole little, like, I could, I, could, I could break this down today. But I'm telling you that, like, Leviticus, I think it's Leviticus 24 says that in the temple, God wanted the flame inside of the, of the church to burn continually. So the job of the priest was to make sure that the flame was always burning. Do you know that the, the, the chief job, one of the main jobs of the priest was actually to keep the oil full and to trim the wicks. They trimmed the wicks uh, for a couple reasons. They did, it, uh, they did it to actually make sure that there wasn't too much smoke. And they, made, they, they trimmed the wicks to make sure that the, uh, the fire was the proper, the proper size. And I believe that one of the greatest things we can do as followers of Jesus is let God trim our, you know, the areas, our wicks, and adjust our flames. I believe it's oil underneath our flames that causes us to keep burning. We have a lot of Christians that have massive potential to burn for God, but they just have no oil of his presence. I don't want to have large-scale flame potential, but a dry reservoir of God's presence. It is the pre- Are you hearing me today? It's the, it's the presence of the Holy Spirit that fills up our reservoir that allows us to burn brightly. People say, well, the world's getting darker and the church is getting brighter. That's the way it's going to be in the end days. It sounds good, but it's bad theology. Because Matthew chapter 5 says that you're not a lamp that you're supposed to be under a basket. But you're supposed to be a lampstand that's actually in the house that gives light to everyone that's in the house. Christianity, following Jesus, was never intended to be a light that was designed just for bright places. God makes us a flame of light to enlighten the dark spaces and places of the earth. And we've bought in this weird theology like, well, I'm going to be a, a light with other lights. Problem is, is well-lit rooms don't need any more lamps. It's the dark places that need more of God's light. So we see that there's stick gathering, and then number number three is they, they bring the sticks to the fire. And I believe the fourth thing that, that, um, that, that fire starters do is they, uh, fourthly, is they don't fear snakes. They don't fear snakes. Now, I think it's just, I want to state the obvious here. I know no one wants to get bit by a snake. Uh, I have a friend actually in the room that's been bit by a snake. Uh, 
crazy story. He's like, yeah, I was bit by a rattlesnake. I'm like, that is the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. He said it was a dry bite, though, so that was good news. But, uh, but I, I want you to, getting bit by a snake is not something I'm looking forward to or I want to happen. I went hunting with Brad, and Brad took me, uh, we were hunting in, uh, in the, up in um, the Northern California, and we were trying to chase a pig, a wild hog, out of raptor tall grass from Jurassic Park. I could not see the ground. I'm walking through this grass. They're just like, they're probably in here just to scare them out. I didn't even have a gun. I'm like, am I getting punked right now? Is there a camera somewhere about to be mauled by a wild pig? Could not see the ground. I'm like, Lord, I was, I was praying. I'm, I was speaking in the Holy Ghost the whole time. It's like, should have bought a Kia, would have bought a Hyundai. I was just, I was so scared. I thought a snake was going to bite my feet for sure. I was just freaking out. And we walked through this tall grass. We made it through. We lived to see another day. But listen, no one wants to give up by a snake. But I want you to know that when you're actually, when you're burning for God, you're, you're going to do something for God. And you're going to gather scripture. You're going you're to spend time with them. And you're going to let that, the, the scripture and that knowledge of God turn into a relationship and a revelation of God. What will happen is snakes will try to attack. And it's interesting Militaries are not threatened by militias that are traveling the same direction that they're traveling. It's not until you turn away and you start opposing the darkness in your life that all of a sudden it's like there's resistance. I don't know who you are today, but it's like, man, I started like, it wasn't until I started coming to church that I felt like some like things that never have gone wrong started going wrong. Started reading my Bible and all of a sudden it was like stressful things started happening. I want you to know that when you go after God, you actually will stir up the snakes. But that's why I gave you this point. Do not fear the snake. Because I want you to know, it says the devil walks about like a roaring lion, like a roaring lion. You know, the only thing that intimidates a lion that roars is a louder lion that roars. It's a fact. And the devil is like a lion, but Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. So one's like a lion, one is a lion, one roars, but one roars way louder. And it's crazy because he threw him in the fire, and the fire drew out the snake. The heat drew out the snake, but the same fire that draws the snake out is the exact fire that will end the life of the snake. Paul got bit, came out of the fire, waved his hand like this, but while it was lashed onto his hand, he put it back into the place that drew it out. I believe it's the presence of God that, yeah, it'll stir up some of the stuff, but it's also the presence of God that'll actually give a funeral to those dark things that need to die in your life. I'm not scared of snakes. Snakes are second-class powers. I'm not scared of witches, warlocks. I'm not scared of that stuff. People say, is that stuff real? It is real. I, I knew friends growing up, they got into like the occult, dark stuff seances, animal sacrifice, that stuff is real. Satanism, it's all real. I just, I would never do it because I don't like to lose. It's one of the reasons I'm not into dark stuff. It's like, it's like why do you want to be on the team that's losing, dude? Like, I know the future. Like, you, you lose. You lose for eternity. You're second-class power, dude. You're like, you're in the back of the plane. I know the future. God wins. And every time the devil tries to remind me of my past, I remind him of his future. Is we, we take the snake and we put him back into the flames. We start going harder after God. We, we worship. We pray. We seek his face. We read the Bible. Something that happens in those moments. 
And, and number, number four, so we're not scared of the, the snake bite. And number five is, I, I love this, after, after he got rid of the snake, he didn't die. Faith rose. And I just want you to know, usually when you see miracles in the Bible, somewhere in the passage, someone had faith. Maybe not everybody did, but someone usually had faith. So in this situation, Paul obviously had some faith. But I'm going to tell you that now all the native people had faith because they just saw a guy that should have died that's walking fine. So he comes into this guy, uh, this guy's house, and his name is uh, Publius. And Publius has a fun name. It's like saying Francisco. It's a joke. He, he comes into his house, though, and uh, his dad is sick with a, with a really bad bowel condition. Like his stomach is all messed up. Probably a life-threatening situation. But I'm going to tell you that the people saw how the guy didn't die from the snake bite. So, like, well, maybe if he didn't die from the snake bite, let me just point this out, too. The snake bit him not on the leg, not on the stomach or the chest or on the neck. It bit him in the... He walked into this guy's house, which Publius, it translate, it literally means popular. This guy is the most popular guy on Malta, probably. He has an estate. He's influential. Everyone knows him. And it's crazy because Paul walks into this guy's house, and he heals him by laying his... I want you to know that the devil is strategic at always biting the areas that God wants to use the most. He always does this. His tactics have been the same since the very beginning. Adam and Eve, what happened? God said, I want to make you two. You're going to attend and keep the garden in the, in the very beginning. They ate, they ate the forbidden fruit. It was a Macintosh. <laughs> Joke. They ate the forbidden fruit. What happens after they ate the fruit? They hid in the so God said, your purpose is to tend and to keep and to rule the garden. But you sin, and when you sin, the devil got you to hide in the very place you were called to have authority in. This is the, this is the tactics of that demonic entity, is if you're called to rule in one area, he'll try to make you, he'll, he'll bite you in the very hand that God wants to use. Does that make sense? Like, we're like, man, I'm struggling. Like, I got this business idea, and da 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 but I'm struggling financially. He's biting you in the area that God wants to use. Man, I just feel like I'm supposed to help people that are addicted, but I'm still addicted. He's biting you in the hand that he wants to use. Man, my marriage, I feel like we're both so dynamic. We're supposed to help other married couples, but he's biting me. Are you following me? He always tries to get you to hide in the garden that God wants you to rule in. Bit his hand. And he laid his hand on this guy. The man could come up here. And he says, he says, be healed in Jesus' name. Not only does this guy, he's the most popular guy on the island, his dad get healed. One miracle creates the momentum of faith for other miracles. And some of you are like, Mark, every week you're like talking about faith and miracles. I feel like it's my job, especially the beginning of the church, to just catalyze that we're going to actually be a community that believes that God can still do great things. But what happens is after some of you get healed, now all of a sudden you're telling stories. And now it's not people believing God for my word, but they're believing because of your word. My friend Ron, where's Ron at? He's in here somewhere, I bet. Ron's like a four-service-a-day kind of Christian. Where's he at? He comes to all four services we do on Sundays. We only have two services. He's serving right now, I guess. Ron got healed in our church. He had an intestinal issue for years. 
and for years. Had to take special medications, get procedures. You talked to him about it today. We, had, we were in a service. You can start playing whatever. We are in a service at the, uh, at the, uh, at the school. And you're like, Mark, and I don't want to be honest, some of you that are new to our church, I'll, I'll pray for people at the end of the service. I'm not a traditional guy that has usually everyone come up, man, we do. But a, a lot of times I'll just ask the Lord to speak to me. One of my favorite things to ask God, if you're a preacher in here or you want to be a pastor one day, one of my favorite things to do when we worship God in the beginning of the service is I say this, God, who do you want to love through me? Who do you want to heal today? And is there anybody specifically you want me to speak to? I ask him that every week. So oftentimes when I do that, at the end of the service, we start worshiping, this presence comes. And I'll start getting like, again, I've, I've called out things that I don't even know the medical terminology for it. But I could see it. And I just described it, and the person in the service had it happen to them. And you're like, Mark, well, this, this okay, this part gets a little bit, I can feel some snakes coming out of the sticks. Um, listen to me. The Bible says that my sheep know my voice. Jesus said, greater works will you do because I go to the Father. Okay, so I want you, God still does miracles today. All I do is I'll just, I want to just be very honest. I don't create wind. But I do believe that when you start walking with Jesus, you learn how to set your sails. These atmospheres, I don't say, like, man, I'm going to heal everything. That's I'm, I'm, We're praying for healing for every. We can believe for everything to be healed. But I, for some reason, there's moments that I'm like, I'll call out. There's someone that has an intestinal issue for six years. God's going to heal it right now today. And it's like I hear the wind of his voice. I'll call it out, and God will heal him. And that's what happened with Ron. Ron was like that for years. Last week I called out, if you remember the service, I called out there's someone that hadn't talked to their, their child in 10 years, that God was going to restore it this week. There's a guy that came up to me after the service. He said, it's been almost exactly 10 years. Nine years and however many months. He said, we just talked for the first time today. Got a message. I, you, wanna, you can clap at church, it's okay. Remember that crazy thing I prayed for last week? I said, someone, I've never done this before, but someone in here is going to get like a paid for vacation because God wants you to know how good he is. That was crazy. I don't do that every week. I probably should. Someone's like, please. But I did it, and I got a message. I sent it to everybody that was on our, our we do Slack as a church, and everyone saw the message. I send messages in the Slack, and I don't do that to brag about, oh, I'm so great. I'm just, I want to build faith. These are not just pie in the sky. You just calm stuff out, random I'm telling you that the same God that speaks is the same God that heals. And the reason why this church will continue to outgrow facility after facility after facility is because, listen, it's not because the music's that great. It is good, but it's, listen, it's not because the preaching's that great. It's good, but it's not. It's the main reason. There's great music everywhere in the world, and there's great communicators everywhere in the world. What will make this place exceptionally special is the unusual kindness people feel when they get into the fire of God's presence. I can feel it warming me up. I feel it warming me up. I never had a conviction before. It's warming up my convictions. No one's preaching you what you can't do in this church, but all of a sudden you're going to leave there like, I don't really want to look at that stuff anymore. I don't really want to talk like that anymore. I don't want to be rude like that anymore. Did anybody tell you you couldn't? No, but what happened? The fire started to warm you up. The Holy Spirit warms people up. You're cold as ice, good news, he can warm you up. He can thaw you out, come on. Get you out of that frozen lair. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.